Baruch atah Adonai, Eloheinu melech haolam, asher bakarbanu mikol amim, venatan lanu etorato. Baruch atah Adonai, noten haTorah. Amen. Adonai, may you increase our illumination in Mashiach Yeshua. May you fill us with your Ruach HaKodesh. And may you grant us eyes to see and ears to hear. And may you cause us to merit to see the return of Mashiach Yeshua speedily and soon in our days. Amen. Amen. So, shalom to everyone. This is the Chaye Sora. Yeah, Chaye Sora, like straight from the hood. Parsha, get you some. So, yeah, it's crazy right now. So, uh, first of all, let me just say to Rebbe Griffin, a.k.a. Rav Lapi, Rebbe, get you some, Captain Yisrael. The Aliyah Day on your Parsha podcast is ridiculous. Like, for real, turned up, amazing. Now, uh, I know you didn't get a chance to do your Aliyah today, but, you know, well... Today, as in when I'm recording it, this is uh, Yom Revi'i into Yom Hamishi. But, you know, Bezrat Hashem, Yom Hamishi, the fifth day. Uh, we'll see you back on there. And uh, even so, uh, there's still a lot to chew on from the first couple of days of the parasha, Aliyah Adai. So if you have Anchor and you have an opportunity to find Rabbi Mordecai Griffin on Anchor, Trust me, subscribe, get you some, and um, just listen to those bombs that he be dropping. So I always tweet them, so you can go on my Twitter, and you can find that. Um, by the way, I'm at Emet Lapide on Twitter. Or you can just Google Emet Shummerman, like Shummerman being two words. So anyway, that is a long introduction just to kind of get you some more connections to everything that's going on because right about this week, uh, this this ending to the, the month of Cheshbon is just intense. You know, it's brought down in the wisdom of the Hebrew months that this is a month of prayer. All the Kabbalah of this month, teaching and the Zohar and things like that uh, is all about you know, where do you want to be? Because where you want to be is where you have chosen for this month. So if you've been in prayer about some things and whatever that is you've been aiming at, Bezrat Hashem, it's been godly because hopefully you're not praying about ungodly stuff. But, you know, judge your neighbor favorably up in here, up in here. So uh, if you've been doing that, then, you know, Hashem is going to bring you there. And that's what's up. And uh, specifically with this week, Chaye Sarah, there's just this push and this need for understanding that that transition point is now. And that means that it's really, really intense. So if things have been extra challenging, extra fast um, and extra just kind of like what in the world this week, that's why. So there you go. The more you know. And um, with this Torah portion of Chaye Sarah, we're going to get into a whole lot of basically the Mount Sinai experience and the destruction of the temple, i.e. the crucifixion of Mashiach Yeshua. The Midrash Get You Some brings down 
during Parasha Yitro, when there's the giving of the Torah, that the Torah was given amidst cloud and dark, thick clouds, lightning, thunder. This does not seem like a joyous occasion. It seems very dark and gloomy. And Hashem is like, yeah, that's because in less than 40 days, there the golden calf is going to happen and the tablets are going to be broken. So, yeah, this is a wedding, but it's also a funeral. And, um, you know, Hasis Baz and I, back during one of our Haftar portions from Bami Bar, we actually talked about this because we were talking about how there's this wedding, but the there's a death of the groom at the wedding. And this is the giving of the Torah. This is the crucifixion of Mashiach Yeshua, because what was actually conspiring or transpiring on the day that Mashiach was crucified, by the way, his death on the stake is called the tree of life. And he took the knowledge of good and evil and he brought that together and overturned it through his death, his triumph on the stake, because he himself is the tree of life. He is the way to the tree of life, but he became what the knowledge of good and evil brought into the world, which is sin and death. He became that. He took that on, but he was remained pure and righteous and blameless and sinless throughout that whole process. Why? Because he was outside of space and time when he did it. Because we have to understand that Mashiach, though he is in the likeness of man, though he is the the epitome of a Zodic, he's beyond that. And if we don't understand that, then that's a that's what's uh, causing our limitation and our lack of our amuna being what it needs to be. And that is a conviction for me because I've been realizing that, you know, the very things that we struggle with are the elementary facets of life. You know, it's brought down in Hebrews that, you know, the resurrection from the dead and laying hands on the sick and all that kind of stuff. That is uh, elementary. So let me go ahead and source that out for you. That is Hebrews chapter six. So let me just give you this opening here. It says, therefore, let us move beyond the elementary teachings about the Mashiach and be taken forward to maturity, not laying again the foundation of Teshuva from acts that lead to death and of Emunah in Hashem. Why not? Let's go to verse two instruction about cleansing rites, laying hands, uh, the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. So verse three and God permitting, we will do so. So in other words, if we're talking to Shuva, we're talking Mashiach, we're talking resurrection of the dead, laying hands and all that, that's elementary. And, you know, when we really understand who Mashiach is, then obviously, yes, we would get that. So, Parsha Kayesera, why am I starting off talking like that? Well, because this is how we're basically ending the month of Cheshvan. I mean, we still, what? Let me look at my calendar here. My Hebrew calendar. We still got another week of Cheshvan, and then we're going to get into Kislev. So, um, Gregorian date, November the 9th, will be Rosh Hodesh, Kislev. So starting on November the 8th, during the setting of the sun, going into the nighttime, will be Rosh Hodesh. And, um, you know, so that's basically another week from now. So what does that mean? We're rounding out Cheshvan with Chayesera 
And this whole month about where we're going to be, where have we staked our claim, you know, pun intended, because when we carry our stake, you know, we realize that this is what will lead to our death, but it also will lead to our resurrection. Get to that in a shortly. Get to that shortly. Um, you know, where are we going to be? Chaye Sarah, she knew where she was going to be. She was going to be with Yitzhak. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and open up my brand new, thank you, Hashem Humash. This is with the teachings of the Talmud, the Milstein edition. So the Talmud teachings with the Humash, that's what's happening right now. I heard it from Rebbe Griffin and I was like, man, got to get me some of that. And I just want to read the opening verse because you always got to start your violence from somewhere, right? So, yes, Bereshit, uh, Perik, which is chapter, uh, that will be Kaf Gimel 23, Pasuk Aleph, verse 1. Vayyiyu chaye serah mea shana ve'esreim. Esrim, Shana Vesheva, Shanaim, Shane Chaye Sarah. Va, this is verse 2. Va Tamat Sarah, Be Kiriat Arba, Hu Hevron Be Eretz Canaan, Vayavo Abraham Lispor Le Sarah, Veliv Kota. Okay, so. There's a lot in that verse, and that's pretty much where I'm going to camp out until I puddle jump around this parasha to some different insights. So, there is this thing that, the commentary that Chaye Sarah starts after the Akedah, and it's because Sarah heard the news of the Akedah. Well, I was telling the Torah to Basora group, aka the TTB group, that, you know, um, both opinions are correct, and that we really will have a beautiful opportunity to have the Ruach HaKodesh illuminate us on how are both opinions correct. Like Sarah hearing about the news of the Akedah and being so shocked that her soul leaves her body because she's just like, I can't believe Abraham offered Yitzhak. Like he sacrificed, you know, he tried to sacrifice Yitzhak. And then there's the other opinion that, well, uh, my son was not worthy enough to be a sacrifice so soul leaves the body so i mean there's just kind of two ways you can go on that and um yes there's a bunch of sources on that so you can look through um everything on that and and just kind of go there but my point is her life is bound up with yakida basically so because yitzhak's body yitzhak's soul left his body by the way and he was considered dead. And I'm going to go ahead and just drop to you Hebrews chapter 11, verse 19. It said, for he had concluded that God could even raise people from the dead. And figuratively speaking, he did so receive him. And this is the verse that says, according to the parable uh, that Yitzhak was basically, he died. So whoever the writer of the Hebrews is, Ahala Echa, boy. That's legit. Um, hoping I didn't close my source out. Okay, Brukashem. Got a bunch of sources open right now. But when you look at that, because Yitzhak's soul left his body, so did Sarah's soul leave. And what do we have here? We have basically when Mashiach's body was torn on the crucifixion stake, 
the veil was also torn in the Beit HaMikdash. Now, Ner Yarok, who is our Jewish Green Lantern, just decided to assault me in the parking lot as we were leaving our TTB class and said, yeah, I was listening to a um, guy from Temple Institute, uh, you know, Rabbi Chaim, and he was basically talking about how, you know, with Sarah's death, it became the opportunity for, you know, Yitzhak and Rivka to be married and like Sarah being like the destruction of the temple. And then we have to be sent out to go get the proselytes and everything and in order for us to come back. Because, you know, when Rivka came back to uh, the tent of Sarah, like everything was restored, just like when we returned back to the Temple Mount, you know, with the end gathering and the final redemption with the, you know, coming of Mash the return of Mashiach, by the way, you know, we will return a bearer of our sheaves kind of thing, as we say in the first brock of the Birkat HaMazon to Helene 126. All that's going on and everything's going to be restored. So I'm like, OK, first of all, you need to not just come up with come up to me with all this uh, violence. And, uh, second of all, you need to get some help. And third of all, what in the world? Cause he just, you just related the destruction of the temple to the death of Sarah. And right now we're talking about how the death of Sarah is correlated to the Akida when Yitzhak passes away. So the Corbin, like the literal Corbin, like the Corbin, the sin offering, the guilt offering, the peace offering, the fellowship offering, the shalom offering, the morning and evening offering, like offering. Because, you know, you realize all those are one offering, by the way, which is why Mashiach is the all atoning sacrifice. Like, that's why the Tamid offering is actually called the Tamid offering, the everlasting offering, the offering that does not cease. But yet it's two lambs. And that's why the Akedah of Yitzhak and the Akedah of Mashiach are actually one because they represent that Tami because with Yitzhak's being, with Yitzhak's Slika being offered, he sacri he atoned, not atoned, he, he anointed the Temple Mount for all the sacrifices to become valid. And then Mashiach is the completion of that because the evening offering is when you finish out the sacrifice of the day. And so what we're looking at is how when you are understanding this, any sacrifice that you're bringing, any sacrifice that you're making, it's between those two akidot, which is the morning and the evening lamb. So that's your start of sacrifice. So when you retire with the evening lamb, on the pyre of the altar all night and then in the morning you take away the ashes and all that which is why the ashes of Yitzhak are still there near the altar like the way that they found the place to build the Mizbeach with the rebuilding of the second temple they found the ashes of Isaac so all of that to say you have the fact that there is the actual offering itself but then you have the place where the offering takes place because remember uh, Abraham said, you know, my wife is in the tent. Uh, let's go back to that. My wife is in the tent. And that is Bereshit uh, 18, verse 9. says, where is your wife? They asked him. He said, they're in the tent. And when they were inquiring about Sarah, and he says, he uh, nay ba'ohel. So like the bait, ohel. 
it literally ba va ohel is the way you pronounce this and there's this understanding that the wife of Abraham is literally a tent and if you think about Abraham and the correlation between him and Adam well that not only did they both look alike but they are supposed to be like the crowning of creation and so there is this whole back and forth on should I create Abraham first or Adam first? And Hashem was like, well, if I create Abraham first, there is no one to undo uh, any damages that may uh, befall man in creation. I.e., if someone eats from the, tr the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, causes sin and death to come into the world, there won't be anyone to undo that if Abraham goes first. Not saying that, you know, we're supposed to do that, but there's like a fail safe here that if if Abraham doesn't undo it, then it won't be undone, which is kind of like, but what about Mashiach? But there's cricket cricket on that. But why don't we as Lapid go ahead and say that was already the plan because it is the lane was slain, slain before the foundations. Mashiach was already in existence before creation. So what was he going to do? But the idea is that Mashiach has to come from somewhere. And when you have Mashiach coming into creation, he's only coming after every last possible route has been taken, which is super important because you can say, oh, yeah, Hashem just went ahead and just trumped the whole thing and just, you know, went straight to Mashiach. And it's just like, you can't do that. Like start warm it up first you know it's like no nope, we're just gonna go straight for the jugular bring in the mashiach big guns right at the beginning it's just like this is just a sword fight there's no need to bring a gun or much less a cannon it's just like no but the reason that is a thing is because you see adam has an opportunity and he fails he blames it on hava and we do the same thing when we blame our sin you know instead of saying you know what i didn't have to do that you know, because we really don't. We don't have to sin. It's just because we it's convenient or we just get tired or we're just kind of like, oh, my gosh, you know, whatever. That's what we do. We blame Hava like all the time. And it's like quit blaming life because you realize Hava is the word for life. And so we blame life for our own shortcomings. And it's just like you have more power than that. You have been given Sleeka, you've been given the spirit of Hashem. You've been given the mind of Mashiach. Come on. And it's just like, yep. And this is why we have to carry our crucifixion stake, by the way. Because you realize that when we die, Mashiach is there to resurrect us. Because in Yochanan chapter 11, uh, I pulled it up somewhere. Where did I pull it up at? Uh, oh, here it is. Baruch Hashem. Starting in 17, going all the way to 44. Pretty sure 44 is, no, 44 is not where he says. So, Lazarus, come forward. Where have you laid him? See, da, 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 da. going back, scanning, reading, boom. All right, your brother will rise again. Okay, it's 25. Yochanan 11, 25. Yeshua said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, though he may die, he shall live. That's the thing. The wages of sin is death. And so if we're carrying our crucifixion stake and we just so happen to sin, it's like, oh, wow, right on time because I am dying today. And so Mashiach is right there to resurrect you, to bring you into newness of life. 
which by the way when you walk in the mitzvot when you walk into shuva that is tantamount to a little piece a little chunk of resurrection and i was telling the ttb class that we see this today that when we wake up in the morning when our soul is restored to our bodies and we choose to say modayani as opposed to turn on the tv and watch the news or when we choose to say the Shema before we go to sleep, as opposed to watch the news. Yeah, I'm picking on the news because that's how I grew up. I grew up in a house where the Shema was not morning and evening. The news was morning and evening. It's like, go to sleep to the news, wake up to the news. Man, it's lunchtime. What I wonder what the news is saying. It's just like, whoa, my word, like crazy. But anyway, I digress. All that's going on. So I say, you realize when you're choosing to say Modeani, you've just died to yourself. And guess what? You're living now because you're connected literally to Hashem and his words are life. So whenever you think about the fact of you sinning and you make teshuva and you're carrying your crucifixion stake, that's why it's so important to understand that when we experience the grace of Hashem, it's not for the sake of copping out. It's for the sake of making sure that we're growing, making sure that we're pressing forward pressing towards the high mark is what that is called and so mashiach being faithful to resurrect us is the point so um just be encouraged that uh as we go throughout life and we're making teshuva and we fall short because he who says he's without sin is a liar and so we don't want to be we don't want to be a liar because we know where liars go um there's that so anyway uh all that's going on and we must press forward. So remember that, um, so we're talking about Sarah, talking about the temple, the veils torn, all that kind of stuff, which by the way, the veil torn scripture, uh, that is found in Matit Yahoo 2751. I'm going to go back to 50 because it says, and when Yeshua cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. So the Ruach HaKodesh departed from him, just like the Ruach departed from the letters of the Sapphire Tablets when they were shattered. And here we have Matityahu 2751. It says, at that moment, the curtain of the temple, the veil, the parochit, was torn in two, from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rocks split. Oh, and just this little small fact. And the tombs broke open. The bodies of many holy people who had died were raised to life. Again, his death brought life, okay? When we carry our crucifixion stake and we die daily, it brings life. It says they came out of the tombs after Yeshua's resurrection and went into the holy city, appeared to many people. Matiyahu is writing something that happened in the future in the present tense. And we should be okay with that because the Torah does that all the time. Um, won't get into that because there's a whole nother drosh on that. But because we know Mashiach is the first fruits of the resurrection. He, he resurrected first and everything came after that. And so, yeah. So when we look at Yitzhak dying and then being resurrected to life, but yet the temple being destroyed, i.e. Sarah died. She did not come back to life or did she? Because we know that she's more alive now in her death than she was actually when she's alive. Because that's brought down in commentary this week that Azotic or a Zadikess, uh, which I don't know how you say that in Hebrew for female, but uh, a righteous woman who is Azotic, 
uh, their exotic is considered more alive in their death than they are in their lifetime because they can do more in their death than they did in their life. Hence why this Torah portion is called Chaye Sarah. And there is a Rebbe from uh, Montreal. Let me go ahead and give you his name because I got assaulted by him a few times this week. And uh, he is, what's his name? Emmanuel Shokit. With a name like that. By the way, that's the person who does the kosher slaughter. So when you want to say someone's killing it, well, you want to say they're living it. But when you want to say someone is doing a really good job, it's like, man, you kosher slaughtered that, bro. Or straight shoke it. You know, anyway, something like that. Anyway, he was saying, Chaye Sarah's, Sarah dies. Like, where's the Chaye Sarah in all this? It's like, oh, well, in the fact that Abraham stuck to the mission, stayed true, uh, took on another test, by the way, because some say the 10th test was actually the death of Sarah. And for the fact that Abraham had to mourn her, but yet go make the arrangements for her burial place. Because in that, he acquired the land of Israel. Rebbe Griffin brought this down on the Yom Rishon Aliyah 1 for this week's Torah portion about the purchase of the land uh, started with the purchase of the tomb of the cave of Machpelah, basically. And so Hashem had already promised the land and by faith they had the land, but there literally needed to be a physical action that happened. For the spiritual truth. And you think about the implications of that. This is why we worship Hashem in spirit and in truth. You know, like we believe everything, but we also bring that element down into physicality, which is why we wrap to feeling, which is why we actually get circumcised, which is why we eat kosher, which is why we actually do Shabbat. Like we refrain from work for like 25 hours, if not more, for some of us. You know, and it's great because you prepare yourself and then you enter into awesomeness and you don't even think about the fact that you can't go shopping. You don't even think about the fact that you can't watch TV or do any of that other stuff that you do during the six days. I mean, it's because you're in Shabbat and it's like, wow, this is insane. This is like pray, study, eat, sleep, drosh, fellowship, uh, go crazy, throw stuff kind of thing. Anyway, uh, so yeah, that tenth test sometimes is said to be this, and you know, thanks to Mr. Shokit, getting to understand that. So it's just like, wow. So Sarah's life, her more live, more alive in her death than she was in her life, led to the fact that Abraham continued forward, purchased the land that Hashem had promised. Like, so they literally have the land now after her death, and then from there. There's the getting the wife for his son, Yitzhak, making sure that she is a moral, upright person coming out of the midst of idolatry, which, by the way, Abraham and Sarah did that. And there was like more concern on her character than it was her idolatry because Emmanuel Shokit and I think some other people brought this down that you can have an idolater, but that's surface corrupt character. That's deep. I know Rebbe Griffin brought that down and Kehert Humash and all that kind of stuff. So that's important, which means that people who are doing idolatrous things now, it's not good to walk around calling them sinners. And, uh, you know, the people who are celebrating Halloween, because that happened this week, uh, it's just kind of like, wow, 
you know, a bunch of sinners just dressing up all evil, calling it cool, you know, and trunk or treating and stuff. And it's just like, wow, allowing that in the place of a place where we're supposed to be praising God. And it's, that's OK. It's like, no, can't call these people sinners, uh, maybe off base or something. But we all used to do that at one point, whether we celebrated Halloween or not. If we were at ever any point doing anything that did not relate to Torah, we were there. So I'm pretty sure none of us came out of the womb holding on to the Torah. If we did, then you must be Mashiach. But anyway, um, I need to stick to the point. The point, the point is that as I was walking around in the midst of all this stuff going on, it was just like pray for them to have their eyes open. Because remember when you used to celebrate this? Would you really want anyone going? Oh, yeah. You know, yeah. You know, God love you so much. You are just uh, not doing things appropriately. I I honestly think it trying to think now. I don't even know how I would respond to that because it's just like I love God with all my heart, with all my soul, with all my strength, with all my mind, by the way. And you trying to tell me I love chocolate. And this is great. This is a good way to outreach. And like, I honestly believe that. And it's cool. You get families in, you get children involved. But the lines get blurred, you know, all sorts of costume stuff and everything and the logistics of it all. And where did this come from? And all that is never paid attention to. And everything's lost in the cuteness and the candy and the wow, that's clever, you know, and all that kind of stuff. But there was uh, an incident where uh, we had basically like what's called a haunted house of some sort that involved a giant tarp trash bag looking thing with PVC pipe and to make the structure and all this kind of stuff and loud noise and screams and foghorns and smoke and all that kind of stuff. And I obviously did not go in there, but, you know, it's in my place of of employment and i'm like walking by and they're like hey Matt, you're not i didn't see you in there it's like first of all i don't know how you saw anything in there because it's completely black but that's cool uh however if you really just kind of zoom out for a second i don't think anything good happens inside of trash bag and i, I kind of left it at that but the point is we can't condemn people we don't calm down on people like that that's not sharing your faith abraham didn't go around to kind of on being like you bunch of pole worshipers, put the tree down and come get the real tree. Turn or burn, get sanctified or chicken fried. Like he didn't do any of that. So why should we? Anyway, Kaye Sarah goes on because she has so much influence throughout the rest of this parsha. Rivka's coming out of her house of idolatry, even though she herself remained free from it all. But the fact of Yitzhak being set up with her is an aspect of Chaye Sarah, the life of Sarah, because her son is to be with someone who is a Zodic, who has the same trajectory, if you will, as Sarah, which is why it is said that Rivka is a replacement and a copy of Sarah. Everything that happened for Sarah also happened for Rivka, which, by the way, extended to Raquel and Leah. And so that's important. And then um, there's some Midrash, I don't remember what it was, that said Rivka even looked like Sarah. And obviously Yitzhak looked like Abraham. So here you go. You have Abraham and Sarah again, even though it's Rivka and, and Yitzhak. And then obviously Abraham and Sarah looked like Adam and Hava. So there's that. So you have this duplicate, duplicate, duplicate 
can't really tell them apart kind of thing it's a different time but same thing so uh all of that goes on and then you have the fact that uh abraham remarries keturah keturah which is formerly hagar so she's making shuva and you know there's that influence from sarah there because at one point Keturah was all well as Hagar she was all like yeah I'm better than her and da 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 and I can conceive and she can and then she gets obviously kicked out and her son is like all with these idolatrous women and stuff like that and so that all changes so now she's back in the house of Abraham Yishmael makes Teshuvah at the end of the parsha for crying out loud goodness like there's that whole thing where he realizes that he's not the firstborn he is like in the household of abraham but yitzhak is the sole heir and he supports that that's why yitzhak's name is mentioned first and yishmael is mentioned second in their procession to bury abraham so the fact that yishmael concedes to yitzhak is just super amazing and that comes from the life of sarah so sarah's influence is what happens so i'm speaking to the ninja master aka yeshiyahu my homeboy homeboy and i was telling him that you know this statement that the righteous person azotic is considered more alive in their death than they are in their life they can do more they have more influence and things like that and so i was like so that's cool but think about someone who is truly righteous like the only one that can be called righteous when they die but then resurrect and then they're still alive and then they're in the heavenlies because the whole thing about the the zodic is when they die they go into the heavenlies they can intercede and do all these things that's why there are sects of judaism that go to the graves of zodics to pray on rosh hashanah and other special occasions throughout the year and they pray in the merit of those zodics so praying in the name of so-and-so or in the name in the merit of so-and-so like that's a whole Jewish concept. So when Yeshua says you'll pray in my name, he's just like, yeah, just like everybody else does and like everybody else has been doing. So that's something for someone who's not like sinless, who's not like eternal, who's not like divine. So like if we're talking that as a case precedent for a Zodic, then how much more so for the Zodic? And him and I, after our faces kind of fell on the floor and just brain just disintegrated, uh, yeah, we just kind of say a lot on that. And I was just like, you know, I'm just going to chew on that all day. I'm just going to be thinking about that. And I'm, by the way, that was two days ago. So it is the third day and resurrection has happened. But, uh, yeah, it's, it's still like forefront of my mind. So I'm bringing it up right now on this podcast because what do you do with that? Like, again, the expansiveness of who our Mashiach Yeshua truly is off the charts. You can't even begin to, like, crack that open. I mean, that is that's an egg that you can scramble all day and you'll still be eating on it, you know, even after the resurrection in the Alam Haba. Like, that's how much egg you got to work with. So, I mean, because I'm talking about scratching the surface or cracking open the egg or whatever, whatever, like, I don't know. Anyway, um, shell shocked is what, what it is. And no Ninja Turtle. All right, so that's the precedent, right? So the Zodic dies and then their influence. So Chaye Sarah is all over this Torah portion, even though she dies in the beginning. She is in this Torah portion from literally Aleph to Tav. And then we're talking about her being bound up with the offering and her soul leaves her body. So I just want to drop a 
little children's midrash on you that I got and I bought it and it was five dollars off of Amazon from Mordecai. Listen to how he spells his name because our Rebbe, Rebbe Griffin, he spells his name interestingly. And uh, my Abba, Mordecai, also spells his name one way. And then there's this. So I have three ways now to spell Mordecai. So I got a choice. I have a Aleph, Bet, and a Gimel option for this. But this Mordecai is M-O-R-D-I-C-I-A or C-A-I, Slika. M-O-R-D-I-C-A-I, Mordecai. So Mordecai Gerstein is the author of this. And he is writing about the white ram. And I read this story because, you know, um, the Akida, like, where did that ram come from? That ram was prepared and ready for the Akida with the onset of creation. And so when it was time for Yitzhak to be offered, it was already set that Yitzhak was not going to be offered, but he was going to. I.e., when the ram is slaughtered, it's accredited to Yitzhak, but it is the lamb who was set before creation which by the way the word is ayil which rearranges to eli which is my god or eli as some some people would pronounce it and when you add a hey to that it becomes elohai because ha ayil which is the ram literally elohai is my god so my god the ram and then Remember, the ram was caught up in the thicket. It was substituted in our place, i.e. we were like Yitzhak. And so, yeah, so there's that. So our guy caught up in our place, and that's the ram. So there's this beautiful midrash here that Mr. Gerstein's bringing down about the ram. So I just want to read that because this is the precursor to Kaye Sarah and Sarah dying. So it says, legend tells us that on the last day of creation, in the twilight of the first Shabbat, God made a white ram turning the page. He put the ram in Gan Eden and said, wait here until I call you. And there the ram waited. <coughs> Footnote, <coughs> insert, <coughs> Shomer man. <coughs> this is Mashiach Yeshua at the gates of Rome. Here, Wait here until I call you. E, no man knows the time, the day or the hour, not even the son of man. So I'm waiting on my dad. Back to the story though. Okay, Adam and Haba, the first man and first woman, disobeyed God and had to leave Gandhi Den. I don't know what's up with the Jamaican voice. They became parents and farmers, but the ram stayed and waited. The ages passed. Other creations left the garden. Stars were born. Stars died. Still the ram waited. Again, Mashiach at the gates of Rome. I mean, because what? We got the Crusades. We got the Inquisition. We got the Holocaust. We got all sorts of stuff that's going on right now. And he's just there tying his bandages like this ram just waiting. Okay, anyway, back to the story. He waited till the morning. God woke him and said, today is the day. Today is the day that Hashem has made. Probably went a little different than that. But anyway, today is the day. And the ram jumped up and began to run. He knew what he had to do. And that's the cool thing about the Mashiach Midrash on the gate to Rome is Mashiach can be done at any moment ready to go because he unbandages one bandage at a time. So when he hears, OK, it's time, 
he literally got like one wrap and like a little pin to put in place and he's good so anyway there's that for what that's worth says the evil one appeared and said stop don't leave this beautiful garden it will mean your death in the voice of the ram it's okay i've been killed before because you know he was slain before the foundations but anyway he was which okay seriously put the, stop i'm i'm holding the book listen if this ram was slain already but yet is here in creation because it's going to be slain again i mean come on man like really what kind of statement is that if you leave the garden it will mean your death it's like yeah you know how I got here? I got here because I died and was resurrected. So now when I go and die for real, like in creation, well, I mean, not as if the one before was fake. But when I go die over here for Yitzhak on the Temple Mount, hey, it's part of what I was. I mean, it's, this is what I do. This is my mission. Like, I'm, I'm the one who has to die so that people can live. It's just like, OK, you realize the significance of that, right? Like, that's crazy. So telling the ram, don't leave this beautiful place, you're going to die, is like telling Mashiach, don't leave the throne. Don't go down there and take on the likeness of man and take on being a slave and be even obedient to death. And Mashiach's like, Psh, the throne don't matter if I don't have my bride. So, yeah. Anyway, just bigger picture here to the... This book is beautifully illustrated, by the way, I must say. Okay, anyway back to the story it don't even have page numbers that's how much of a children's book this is it says but the ram said i must save the child and he ran out of eden he ran over hills of rocks and boulders he knew where he was going come on and get you some yeah that's the cold dodi so here comes my beloved skipping over the mountains and the hills the rocks and boulders that's from Sheha Shareem get you some song of songs get you some that's where that's from so the ram is like running over all this stuff and it's like I know where I'm going and whatever's in the way it's gonna get leaped over so think about that when you have your faith that moves mountains because the ram is like, whether the mountains move, I'm getting to where I got to go. So anyway, it says, and the evil one appeared disguised as a field of green grass. Seriously. And so what I love about this is there's literally an illustration of a green field with a face in it, smiling with a really interesting smile. Looks like a scary cat, actually. But it's a green field nonetheless with a face on it and it's speaking. It says, stop here, he said, eat and rest. There is no need to hurry. Why does this seem like the temptations of Hasatan to Mashiach Yeshua when he was in the wilderness? Like, hey, don't you want to turn these stones into bread? Take a moment. Just eat. Don't worry about being filled with the spirit and being Mashiach, being Yosef. Come on, man. Just do some things for yourself for once. You are the master of the universe. Come on do master stuff and he's just like no i got a mission i know where i gotta go anyway but the ram replied i must save the child and he ran faster i want you to key in on that statement and he ran faster because we're talking kaya sarah we're talking fighting we're talking end of 
Cheshbon into Kislev and becoming more intense and having our transition. So after that, the ram ran faster. It says he ran on and on over dry and dusty deserts. And the evil one appeared disguised as a cool. No, it, I mean, the illustration again is uh, it's crazy because it's got a rainbow. I'm not supposed to look at that. Um, then it's got fountains like literally rivers, fountains, living water, spearing out a fish, some kind of dolphins, probably a Takash. So a bunch of Takashim and two fish in his hand. Oh, he's holding up the two fish. Where are the lobes? I don't see him. Oh, he's got some turtle shells. I'm trying my best here to show you this picture. This is crazy. Um, but anyway, rainbows, fountains. Oh, and then all this beautiful artistry. Hasatan is dressed up like a, I don't know. But he blends in with the decoration. So when it literally says disguised as a cool, like they literally mean that. Like you can't really tell unless you're looking at it what's going on. But to cool sparkling fountain and sang, stop, drink deep of me and rest. There is no hurry. Yes, I stop, drink and deep of me and rest. There is no hurry. Why don't you just stop, drink deep of me and rest. There is no hurry. Yeah, what, what? Come on, stop. Yeah, I don't know why. I was thinking that may have been what the song sounded like. But anyway, there's music, there's beautifulness, and it's like, no, the ram is like, I can't stop, cried the ram, I must save the child, check it out, and he ran on. He ran through dark swamps and tangled jungles. Oh, this is crazy, check this out. And the evil one appeared disguised as a fierce lion and roared, Stop or I'll tear you to pieces and devour you. Mm. Didn't Mashiach say something about that? The thief comes to kill, steal, and destroy. And then Kepha was like, Yeah, Hasatan, you know, prowls like a lion seeking whom he may devour or something like that. I don't know. I don't know. I be thinking about stuff all the time, you know. But check it out. It says the ram replied, I must save the child. And he leapt over the lion and ran on. Okay, so I know Michael Jordan is like a thing, but now we need to talk about this ram with the mad leap skills. Okay, how are you going to leap over a whole lion for real? There's a supernatural ram here. First of all, the ram wasn't even phased by the fact that it was a lion. Okay, maybe rams can like you know, buck up on a lion or whatever, but I'm just saying, like, seriously, you're not, like, hungry, you're not thirsty, you're not scared of a lion, and you're like, I must save the child, I know where I'm going, and I'm running fast. So now, it has a beautiful illustration of Mount Moriah, Yitzhak bound up, Abraham in a coat of many colors, I mean, Abraham, yeah, literally, he's in the garments that Adam had, which is what Yosef was given from Yaakov. Anyway, uh, so he's in that garment, which, by the way, he got this from Melchizedek. So, yeah. Anyway, so these garments here, and I know they changed hands, and somehow Nimrod had it, but Aesop got them back. So, however you want to think, these garments have been back and forth. So, you talk on the, on the uh, foundation stone. 
interesting because in the TTB class, we talked about that foundation stone as the 12 stones that were surrounding the head of Yitzhak or Yaakov as he laid on Mount Moriah and Parashat Vayetze and the 12 stones that were around his head became one and then oil started flowing out from Hashemayim and he used this oil to anoint that stone and then he pushed the stone into the ground and that stone became the chief cornerstone that held up the Temple Mount. And a protrusion of that stone came up in the place where the Holy of Holies would be. And that's where the ark sat when they made the first temple. But yet there is a foundation stone for Yitzhak to be placed on. So what's up with that? Telling you, man, expand the understanding of Hashem is eternal. And there are more demon appointed times and appointed places. Mashiach was already crucified before creation, but yet there's a moment in time of creation where he's crucified. Like, how do you even begin to deal with that? It's just like, is it crucifixion today or is it yesterday? And it's like, uh, we're going to put him around the time of the Roman uh, influence beginning to rise. And we're going to put him right there. So right before going into the fullness of the Roman exile, we're going to have the fullness of deliverance. Uh, through Mashiach Yeshua, at least the dawn of redemption of that fullness, because with him uh, offering being offered, you know, that's the reversal of eating from the tree of knowledge of good and evil. So just like death rolled into creation, death is now rolling out of creation. So the more we eat or drink of Mashiach Yeshua, the more and more we repel that death, just like Death is repelled away from the mezuzah. Death slinks away from the mezuzah, by the way. So if you have like evil spirits and all that kind of stuff, put a mezuzah up. That'll that'll cause some things. Uh, anyway, uh, we can do all things through Mashiach. Yeshua who strengthens us. Hashem, we bless your name. May you bring down your kingdom. Establish it all around us. Rain down your light. Rain down your son, Mashiach Yeshua, your dot, your Torah. We take it all, Hashem. Cover the people who are listening to this podcast. Cover my household. Adonai, let your Yeshua come. Let salvation flow from Mount Zion right now. King Yehidatzon. HaKadosh Baruch Amen. So anyway, the ram ran till he came to the sacred mountain, Mount Moriah. At the top, he saw a child tied and bound on an altar and weep and a weeping man cried the ram running faster. I am here. Take me. But the evil one disguised as a bush of brambles, the rams, and said, You shall go no further. The ram struggled and cried, Avraham, I am here. Take me. But the man, Avraham, did not hear. Still small voice much? Today, if we would hear his voice. So, the interesting thing about this is that this is an actual real phenomenon where like sheep are like getting caught in this like crazy vine, bramble, spiky uh, bush plant that apparently exists on like different ranches or in parts of the world that are like shrubberous, I guess, for lack of better terms. I don't know why for some reason I was compelled to click on this video on YouTube and watch it a few days ago where there's literally is called like plant or animal or flesh eating plants or mm, car carnivorous plants. But it's um, the fact that this type of uh, bush, these uh, sheep, they get caught in it and they end up dying because they don't 
they just get stuck there. They can't move like they're the wool and everything is all like unless the shepherd comes and cuts them free, like they're stuck there. And uh, the commentary from the video was saying that their bodies basically when they die, you know, suffocating or just stuck and they don't they eat. They don't eat. They're fatigued. They're starved to death. They die and their bodies decompose into the ground. And that decomposition actually fuels the plant. It's food for the plant. So the plant has its own food from this dead body. And so that's kind of like very morbid and disturbing on so many levels. But just seeing this picture here of these brambles catching a hold of the ram, but it catches it not by the wool but by the horns, by the two Mashiachs, because these two horns represent the the first uh, sound, which is Mount Sinai, which is when Mashiach showed up, uh, by the way, as the sapphire tablets. And then the second horn, which is when Mashiach is going to show up again, by the way, in his renewed resurrected body that he ascended into Hashemayim on. But when he returns on the clouds of glory, that's the second horn. And so... Yeah, this idea of the two appearances of the Mashiach, that's where the brambles are like, yep, I got this. There will not be a Mashiach. And by the way, this ram will not be sacrificed. Yitzhak will be sacrificed. And therefore, the Tamid will be invalid because it'll be one lamb and not two. And it's just like, oh, okay, that, that's the play, huh? Anyway, so how in the world is this ram going to get free? Because Abraham ain't hearing nothing. And the... Uh, the thorns have the ram caught up by its horns and it's behind Abraham. So he can't see, he can't hear. Abraham is weeping and everything. So there's a lot going on here. It says the ram heard the voice of God say to Abraham, I asked you to sacrifice. Hold up, hold up. The ram heard the voice of God say to Abraham, I asked you to sacrifice your only son, Yitzhak to test your love and trust in me. Now, instead of Yitzhak, sacrifice this ram. Just think about this. You're Abraham, you're weeping, you're going crazy. Which, by the way, just flash grenade. The wood that Abraham had split and that he brought on the donkey to give to his son Yitzhak, because he himself split that wood the terminology vaibaka, which is to split open the wood, uh, it said that this is the merit of the Yom Suf being split for the children of Israel and the merit of Abraham splitting his wood so that he can give it to his son Yitzhak for the altar to be built for him to be sacrificed on. That was the merit of the Yom Suf splitting. So now we add that to the waters saw Hashem and they fled. The sea saw Hashem and fled. The bones of Yosef, which is the essence of Yosef, cause it to flee. The splitting of the wood of Abraham causes to flee. The fact that Nakshon from the tribe of Yehuda ran into the sea and it split. So now this picture is getting bigger and bigger. But anyway, so Abraham is here. He's sacrificing his son and Hashem says, stop. I need you to sacrifice the ram. You've passed the test. Abraham's like, uh, ram? What are you talking about? So anyway, back to the story. I made him in the twilight of the last day of creation for this moment to take Yitzhak's place on this altar. 
and Abraham heard the voice of God and untied Yitzhak, who jumped up joyfully. And this is when Baruch atah Adonai That's where that came from. Perkade Rebbe Eliezer gets you some. So anyway, so that happened. And it says, but Adonai, said Abraham, why did you have to test me? You know all things. You knew that I would do anything you asked, i.e., you know I am not saving Ishma. Even give you my only son. So you understand from that statement alone, this is Midrash from a children's book, by the way, that he says, not saving Ishma and even my only son. So we can be not saving Ishma all day, but what about the son? Do, do Are we willing to have that with our not saving Ishma? I.e., are we willing to walk like Mashiach, believe in Mashiach, grab a hold of Mashiach, zit zit, as we're saying, not saving Ishma? Because cause Abraham did. Abraham was like, yeah, I'm already out. I'll keep your mitzvot Hashem, but even, even the only begotten son whom I love, I offer you that too. So we can't just have Torah and no no son. We have to have Torah with the son. Says, I knew, says Hashem, but I wanted the whole world. So this is why we do mitzvot. It's not for us. It's really not for Hashem, even though both of us get benefit from it. I.e. Hashem benefits, you know, like our offerings are his food for his fires, his satisfying aroma. But then for us, we get blessed from being obedient. But that's not the point. The point is actually, I mean, it's even in Matthew chapter five, where it says, let your light so shine before men that they may see your deeds and glorify your father who is in Hashemayim. So right here, but I wanted the whole world to see your love and your trust in me so that all people might follow your example. This is why the Akira is like centralized, like in the middle, circled in Judaism. It's like a Shema and Akira. So anyway, um... Yeah, so our mitzvot keeping is for everybody, for everybody to see. So if you think about the whole world doing mitzvot, that's literally proselytizing the whole world, entering everybody into Torah. Then it says, Abraham said, Adonai, in times to come, remember my love and forgive the sins of Yitzhak and his children and his children's children and his children's children. Flipping the page. You probably heard that. Okay, Abraham freed the ram from the brambles. The ram leapt onto the altar. The same leaping that Yitzhak did off the altar is the same leaping that the ram did on the altar. Insane. Because Mashiach was like, he'd been up all night. He got improperly judged. He just got whipped. He got beat. He got punched. He got spit on. He got reviled. And homeboy is still carrying his crucifixion stake which weighed way more than he did. But he's carrying that uphill both ways. And like, yeah, that's cool. Don't worry about me. The joy set before me is great. So don't weep for me, Yerushalayim. Weep for yourselves. And here we have this ram being like, just like the joy Avraham and Yitzhak experienced with not having to sacrifice themselves is the same joy I have for sacrificing myself. Same way. That's insane. Says, Abraham said to the ram, on New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, blow through one of my horns, and God will hear the sound and remember Yitzhak and me. Abraham said, Abraham said the ram. Okay, the ram is, okay, the ram is talking, of course. It's a children's book. Why not? 
No, I'm just kidding. Mashiach is the remedy. Mashiach speaks all the time. Okay, but anyway, Abraham said the ram, on New Year's Day, Rosh Hashanah, blow through one of my horns, and God will hear the sound and remember Yitzhak and me, the white ram that took his place, and he will forgive the sins of Yitzhak and his children and his children's children and his, okay, it will forgive the sins of Yitzhak and his children and his children's children's children always to the end of time i.e mashiach saying do this in remembrance of me and mashiach being the ram and us being yitzhak because remember all of the nation of israel is found in yitzhak so the ram is like just so you know my sacrifice here and this says the ram lay down on the altar and his soul flew into god's hands i.e. he cried with a lot he cried with a loud voice and gave up his spirit from the ram's ashes the mortar for the altar this is just uncalled for from the ram's ashes the mortar for the altar of the great temple was made from his bones on that mountain the foundations of Jerusalem were made from his bowels the ten strings of king david's harp were made and from his hide, the prophet Eliyahu made a cape. Anything else we want to just violently throw out. And from his horns were made two shofars. One was blown when Moshe received the Ten Commandments. I the sapphire tablets. The other was blown, or the other will call the children of Israel home. Tekabe get you some. And may you sound the great shofar and get you some. Okay. So yeah, the sounding of the great shofar. We pray to this in the Amidah. Sound the great shofar for our freedom. Raise the banner together. Our exiles. Yep, that one. Okay. That's the return of Mashiach shofar, by the way. And it says, call the children of Israel home. And now when the sound of the ram's horn is heard on Rosh Hashanah, we remember Yitzhak and Abraham. We remember when the father and the son became one. And participated in this all atoning sacrifice. Yeah, that. Okay, and we remember the white ram that now and forever grazes in the fields of Hashemayim. And end of story. Where in the world did homeboy get this from? It says uh, Mordecai Gerstein. He's the illustrator, painter, sculptor, prize winner, designer, director of animated films. Hmm. All right. Cool. So, just want to see if they put uh, where he got this from, because this does come from a Jewish midrash. Uh, there's no preface in here. Not used to that. It's a Jewish book without a preface. What? Mm, this is the story of the ram based on Jewish legends called midrashim. That's all you get. Okay. So Baruch Hashem. So anyway, uh, that leads me to my next point. Now, this is the, the uh, rapid fire round. So once I find this point, we're just going to rapid fire away. So 23. Um, yep, 23.2. Okay, so we're in verse 2 now. All right, so this is what the Or Hakaim brings down. It says that... Um, to enable you to understand this matter, go and see what Rambam writes 
in chapter 4 of Hilkot Yesode HaTorah, chapter 5, each of the four elements can be transformed into the element to which it is most similar. For example, earth can turn into water. When water flows over rock continually, it eventually wears away and dissolves part of the rock. Similarly, Rambam writes, water evaporates and turns into air, which is gas. Certain gases, combustible ones, turn into fire. Thus, each of the four states of matter, elements, can be transformed into one another. So, similarly, you will find that through a person cleaving to his creator, all the elements of which his body is made up of can eventually be transformed into the element of fire. And the element of fire can then be transformed into spiritual fire of the soul. Ponder this. So a remez based on why the verse says in the land of Canaan, because by the way, Kiryat Arba is about four places. So they're the, the Arba, the four. And uh, that's Hebron is the uniting of four different things. And this is in the land of Canaan. So I, I can't help myself but think about the four corners of the Talit that we bring together when we say Shema Yisrael and then gathered from the four corners of the earth and all that kind of stuff. So bring them into the central place, being the Temple Mount, all that. So then it says, and why does the verse say in the land of Canaan on the Remez or Hachaim? It is because this world is referred to as the land of Canaan. Canaan is a name for the Yetzahara. Zohar, volume 180, page A. It says, and the verse means to teach that by forcibly resisting the Yetzahara throughout one's life, a person attains wondrous levels of holiness and perception. Footnote, mentioning in the land of Canaan, the Torah teaches how Sarah was able to reach the great spiritual heights to which the verse alludes by engaging in a constant battle against the Yetzahara, which is referred to as Canaan. Okay, so that's where Sarah died. Sarah died in victory, basically. Victory over the Yetzahara. So remember I was saying, carry your crucifixion stake and all that? Yeah, because when you die, Mashiach resurrects, okay, and you live. And by dying is the way that you live. And that life that you have is the power of the resurrection. And that's exerted in you. Through Mashiach Yeshua, uh, I'm going to give you that source because sometimes, you know, the letter to the Ephesians chapter one, verse 20, he exerted when he raised Mashiach from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms. Back up says the power, that power is the same as the mighty strength he exerted when he raised Mashiach. So the resurrection power here, he says, uh. Okay, back verse 18. I should just read. This is why you should read the whole letter because it'll flow better instead of picking parts out. But I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know the hope to which he has called you. Amen. Hashem, open our eyes, give light to our eyes, and may this light be true light and not darkness. Amen. Amen. So that we know the hope to which he has called you, the riches of his glorious inheritance in his holy people and his incomparably great power for us who believe that power, that power is the same as the mighty power he exerted 
when he raised Mashiach from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly realms, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in this present age, but also in the world to come. I don't know about y'all, but that's a whole lot of power. And that's the power that we have exerted in us. So when we talk about the fact that Sarah died in this place with the four elements, which can be transformed into each other in the land of Canaan, which is the Yatahara. So you have this idea to overcome. You have to take all of who you are, battle against the Yatahara, and you can be brought into victory. But it will cause you to have to die so that the resurrection can be made uh, manifest in you. And when the resurrection is made manifest in you, that's when you begin to walk in the victory that Mashiach gave us through the crucifixion stake. That's kind of where we are as believers. We we have got to do that. Uh, and before I close up this humash and, and do my thing somewhere else, I just wanted to highlight. I literally highlighted this footnote uh, from Bereshit 24, verse 16, because it says, Now the maiden was very fair to look upon, talking about Rivka, a virgin whom no man had known. So let's look at 16 real quick. First of all, it uses Na'ara and then it uses Betula. Now, Na'ara is what's used for maiden and Betula is used for virgin. OK, now a girl. So this is the, the Milstein Talmud teachings. It's dropping down Yevamot 61b it says a girl is considered a minor until she reaches 12 years. At this point, she is referred to as a Na'ara, which is a maiden. So now, dispel all rumors you may have come across saying that Rivka was three years old. If she was three years old, she's not a Na'ara. She a baby. But anyway, I digress. So think about Miriam, the mother of Mashiach. If she's called a Na'ara, which I'm pretty sure she is, she is at least... And from this point forward, she is called a Na'ara, a maiden, which is very closely to Betula and Alma, which is virgin. So, yeah, all that can be uh, sourced out. And if you really want that source, we got it. Ish Pela decided to stir that up. And that's why I'm sharing this, because we we're more than ready to source that out for you. But anyway, so just ask. And then uh, it says Rabbi Eliezer rules that a Kohen Gadol, because that's what Yitzhak is, because Melchizedek is the Kohen Gadol. He's also a king and a priest. And then that was all conferred to Avraham, which is all conferred to Yitzhak. So now you have this Kohen Gadol needing to have a bride. So it says Rabbi Eliezer rules that a Kohen Gadol may not marry a minor. And remember, our first point says a girl is considered a minor until she reaches 12. So if she's below 12, she can't get married to the Kohen Gadol. Second witness, Rivka is not three. I don't know where that commentary came from. And I know there's a whole lot more to it. And I'm not trying to bash it, but wow. Okay, anyway, which this is kind of crazy because if you think about Rivka being like 12 or somewhere around that age, maybe 14-ish, 15, somewhere like that. You see how Yosef, the uh, the husband of Miriam from the Basora accounts, 
you see how him being significantly older than she was is like that's already been done before that's a pattern that's a type if you can understand that then you know blessed are you right because Yitzhak is at least 37 and it says that this took place three years after the binding so three years after the Akedah would make him 40 and if she is 12 or like 14 then that's a big age gap but anyway, just wanting to bring that out because, you know, I've always heard that Yosef was way older than uh, Miriam. And that's why, obviously, he died before she did. And obviously, Boaz was way older than Ruth. That's why he died before she did. And so there's all this kind of stuff. But anyway, digress, digress, digress. Get back to the point. So the reason is because a Kohen Gadol must marry a Batula and they use virgin. And check out the footnote. Vayikra 21.13. So you know what we got to do. We got to go to Vayikra 21.13. Leave no source unturned. It says, He is to marry a virgin. He may not marry a widow, divorcee, profane woman, or prostitute. He must marry a virgin from among his own people. Why don't we just look at the Ivrit of that? Just because. Just Vayikra 21.13. So this is this is just uh, craziness. Okay, so it says Isha Vitula. So there's your Batula. And then it says Almana. So Alma. It says and then Betula. Okay, Betula Alma. Okay. That's all right there. That's that's the wife of a Cohen. So in order for Yitzhak to get married, she's gotta be a virgin, a maiden. And she cannot be a minor. And she cannot be a person who has known a man. Okay? So it says, and only a Na'ara can be called a Batula, not a minor. This can be seen from our Pasuk, which makes the point of first describing Rivka as a Na'ara, a maiden, who was at least 12 years old, and then as a Batula. Another footnote, Rabbi Eliezer maintains that Rivka was at least 12 years old when she left home. Other opinions see undefiled uh, below. It says, are that she was still a minor. So anyway, the more you know on that. And in our Basura portion this week, uh, we were looking at uh, Yochanan chapter 4. Uh, waiting for it to arise. Yochanan chapter 4, uh, 3 through 14. And uh, nifty little verse in there. Verse 12. Uh, this lady from Shomron drops down some Midrash, believe it or not. She says, surely you are not greater than Yaakov Avinu who gave this well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his flock. And so uh, this is obviously Mashiach meeting the woman at the well because, you know, well, it's a deep subject. But in this week's Torah portion, we read about Eliezer meeting Rivka at the well. And obviously Yaakov is going to meet Rachel at the well. Oh, my goodness. Shabbat 88b. I got to drop that down. But I'm past verse one. What am I going to do? Rewind. But I just wanted to drop this down from... Uh, where am I dropping this down from? Yes, Rabbeinu Bakia is commenting on uh, Bamibar 23, 8 and 9. 
talking about the patriarchs being likened to mountains. So it says, Midrash approach based on Tankuma 12. The word Zorim is a simile for the patriarchs. The word Magbaot, which is from elevated hills, is, is a simile for the 12 founding fathers of the nations, which are Yaakov's sons. So, real quick, remember the ram leaped over hills? So the ram elevated itself over the 12 sons of Yaakov, and then he ascended to the top of the mountains, which are called the patriarchs. So Mashiach being greater than the 12 sons altogether, and then being greater than the patriarchs. So the lady is asking this in Yochanan chapter 4, and the answer is yes, just from that little half drosh alone. But guess what? I got more sources. Midrash Tankuma told Dote. And that one, because uh, Tankuma 12 was that. But now we're going to do Tankuma Toldo 14. And it says this from Tehillim 121.1. A song of ascents, I will lift up my eyes to the mountains. Scripture alludes here to the verse, Who are you, O great mountain before Zerubbabel? You shall become a plain. Zechariah 4.7. This verse refers to the Mashiach, the descendant of David. Why was he called a great mountain? Because he will be greater than the patriarchs. As is said, behold, my servant shall prosper. He shall be exalted and lifted up and shall be a very high and shall be very high. Yeshiahu 52.13. Now, a certain human lapide dropped a while before that if we're crazy in the debate of is Yeshayahu 53 about uh, the Mashiach? Obviously it is, but people say that it isn't. Well then, you need to understand who Yeshayahu 52 is about and that'll clear up everything. Midrash says it's Mashiach because if Yeshayahu 52 is about Mashiach, which takes you into Yeshayahu 53, case closed. If you want to open it, I guess you can have fun um, with that. But anyway, Source right here says he shall be exalted above Abraham, lifted up above Yitzhak. Oh, that's why Yitzhak was uh, lifted up because uh, the word is Tachat uh, Beno. He was uh, sacrificed instead of his son. So Bereshit 22 when the ram is sacrificed. So Yitzhak was like the sacrifice, but then it says that Mashiach is going to be lifted above Yitzhak. So like, there is the Akedah of Yitzhak, which is great, but Mashiach's Akedah is way above that. So anyway, um, it's really the same thing because remember, Yitzhak is meriting uh, the Akedah to be accredited to him because he willingly laid his life down. It's also accredited to Abraham. So now you got exalted and lifted up coming together because they both are a part of this Akida. And it's like, yep, Mashiach is like, thank you, because that's really me. Okay. So that's kind of crazy, but just want to point that out that when we're looking at the Akida, we're really looking at Mashiach. Yeah. And it says he shall be very high above Yaakov. Yaakov, for goodness sake, is called the Lamb of God. So that's just one level. And now it's just like, yeah, so the Lamb of God. 
on an even higher level. Just like as far as the heavens are above the earth, basically. As also is in Yeshiahu 55, as my ways are not your ways, my thoughts are not your thoughts, that whole verse. Then it says, he shall be exalted above Abraham, concerning whom it is said, I have lifted up my hand unto Adonai. Bereshit 14.22 Lifted up above Moshe, of whom it is said, You should say unto me, Carry them in my bosom. Bamibar 11.12 And shall be very high like the ministering angels, concerning whom it is said, As for their wings they were high. Yehezekiel chapter 1 verse 18 Hence scripture says, Who are you, O great mountain? So, yeah. Oh, and just because there's some commentary out there that says Zerubbabel is uh, an invalid as far as continuing the lineage of David into Mashiach because he was cast out. Well, clear that up real quick, even though that's something you may not know about. It says, from whom will the Messiah descend from Zerubbabel? Why is he called Zerubbabel? Because he was born in Babel, which is Babylonia. And from whom did Zerubbabel descend from David, as it is said, in Shlomo's son Rehoboam, Abijah, and Delilah and Anani 7. And then it says, 1 Chronicles 3 10 through 24. To whom does Anani refer? That is Mashiach, for it is said, For who has despised the day of small things? Even they shall see with joy the plummet in the hand of Zerubbabel and these seven. Zechariah 4 10. And it is written elsewhere, I saw in the night vision, and behold, there came with clouds Anne of Hashemaim, one like the son of man, Daniel 7, 13. And then it keeps going. Uh, and then the last thing, Shabbat 88b, because we're talking about the death of Sarah and the death of the Akedah, they both are the same death. That death is called death by the divine kiss. That's where the soul leaves the body just because it's overwhelmed. Okay, well, that's really a layman's way to say it. I mean, there's a lot going on there, but needless to say, the soul jumps out of the body. This happened with Moshe. This happened with Aaron. This happened with Miriam. So Rebbe Griffin brought this down. You see the prototype here that the Redeemer of Israel, which is faceted in three through Aaron, Miriam, and Moshe, they all die by the divine kiss. The soul departs from the body. So there's that. So, But check this out. Says, first of all, why are the matters of Torah likened to a king? This is Shabbat 88b. To teach you that just as a king has the power to kill and to grant life, so too the matters of Torah have the power to kill and to grant life. There's that. So this from Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, From each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, this is at Mount Sinai, this is at the sounding of the first horn of the ram okay that's where we're at giving of the torah mashiach coming down or being spoken out i should say because the sacred being healed the dead are being raised and all that kind of stuff is going on yep midrash get you some parsha yitro you can see all that okay then it says rabbi Yehoshua ben levi said from each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of hakadosh baruku the souls of the jewish people left their bodies as it is stated my soul departed when he spoke, Shir Hashirim 5.6. And since their souls left their bodies from the first utterance, how did they receive the second utterance? Rather, God rained the dew 
upon them that in the future will revive the dead and he revived them. But I thought it was the do. No, it's Hashem. Okay, that's cool. Well, do the do, Hashem. So it says that in the future he will revive the dead and he revived them as it is stated. You, God, poured down a bountiful rain when your inheritance was weary, you sustained it. Tehillim 68.10 Then, okay, and Rabbi Yehoshua ben Levi said, with each and every utterance that emerged from the mouth of Hakadosh Baruch Hu, the Jewish people retreated in fear 12 mil, and the ministering angels walked them back toward the mountain. As it is stated, the host of angels will scatter, which is Yidodun, that's Tehillim 68.13, do not read the word as Yidodun, meaning scattered, rather read it as Yedadun, they walked them. And Neria Roke, just waiting for the attack, just jumped on that. He's, did you just say that the angels are gathering in the scattered ones from the dispersed parts of the world or the earth or something? I'm like, dude, we're not even on that right now. Like, why do you got to go all violent on us like that? And I was like, but yes, to answer your question, violent man, that is the correct interpretation because we see that when Mashiach returns, that his ministering angels will be gathering and, and scattering, you know. Um, let's see here. I want to get some context on that. All right. So we're going to finish out here. Uh, Mark 13. Starting in 27, and he will send his angels and gather his elect from the four winds, from the ends of the earth to the ends of the heavens. Slika. So you see in Shabbat 8a-b, we have a prototype of that at the first redemption, where the people are standing at the foot of the mountain, getting ready to receive the Torah, and crossing over from death into life, eternal life that is. And upon the resurrection, the people just decided you know what we're done dying and resurrecting like put the stake down don't want to die today i'm going to run away and Hashem's like angels go get them bring them back and here in the final redemption that the angels are going to go and gather in the elect from the four winds of the earth that word elect i.e or chosen ones those people are the ones who are the keepers of the torah who have the testimony of Mashiach Yeshua. Because in order for you to be chosen, it's because, again, what does he say in Shemot 19? So let's go back there because he lays out that you are a holy priesthood, chosen people, royal nation, and why. Uh, Shemot 19, it says in verse 5, If you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations, goyim, idolaters, you will be my treasured possession. Although the whole earth is mine, you will be for me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. These are the words you are to speak to the children of Israel. So if that's you, welcome to the family. Go to synagogue, get yourself a Rebbe, get with the Beidin, figure out your conversion, make for circumcision stuff. If you're a guy, circumcision. If you're a woman, You've already done that. So, Brukshem. Or Hashem has already done that. But, anyway, just so you know, that's how you're chosen. So many are called, few are chosen. Are you fully obeying Hashem and keeping His mitzvot? 
have you not a Sevenishmat, which is the we will do and we will hear, as well as offer the Son, which is Mashiach, you know, having Mashiach Yeshua and the Torah. That's what a chosen people is. So this is Kaye Sarah. Oh my word. I almost forgot my key verse because it is Shaul, of course. Since it's Shaul, it's got to be a key verse, right? But anyway, I digress. It is actually from 1 Timothy chapter 6. Fight. Okay, verse 12. Fight the good fight of faith. Lay hold on eternal life. Whereunto you are also called, and you have professed a good profession before many witnesses. Fight the good fight of faith. That's how Sarah was able to die in Kiryat Arba in Canaan because she did that. And because so, her influence was all throughout this Torah portion. And the lesson for us is to triumph in victory through dying so that Mashiach, who is the life and the resurrection, will bring us into newness of life and that we will overcome and we will also be able to transform all of who we are into the fiery, passionate souls that we are for Hashem and literally be a lapid in the darkness. So this is Shomer Man for Parsha Chaye Sarah. And I want to encourage you to all fight the good fight. Lay a hold to eternal life, grabbing a hold of the Zit Zit of Mashiach Yeshua. Let's light the world up till Mashiach comes. Let's get more intense. And the way to do that is let Hashem show you, ask Hashem to show you what you are supposed to be doing. And when you get that clarity, when you get that understanding, because obviously it's supposed to be Torah and Mitzvot, but there is something specifically that you're supposed to do and what you need to do. Is do that with all that you have and bring it. So until then, stay violent. And what do we know? What do we know? Baruch Atah Adonai Eloheinu Melech HaOlam Asher Natan Lanu Torah Temet Vechaye Olam Natah Betocheinu Baruch Atah Adonai Noten HaTorah Amen. Adonai, in the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, may we merit to see your return. May it even be today, if not sooner than later. In the merit of Mashiach Yeshua, Amen ve Amen. Shalom.